this is episode number 28 of Sticky Beak. In this episode, we chat with Rail Ross from Button. Rail and the team at Button are reinventing the way cash flow works in business with simple, secure, and instant finance solutions for every business's needs. Rail took us through the journey from growing up and studying in Melbourne to building his financial credentials and eventually founding Button. If you're interested in financial services or fintech, you'll enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome to Sticky Beak Rail. Thank you, Daniel. Wonderful to be here and thanks so much for the invite. Looking forward to uh, chewing the fat and uh, sort of, I guess, alleviating some tips and uh, to some of your listeners and some of your audience members and uh, sort of giving them, a, I guess, a little bit of an insight of how we got here and, and what we're doing and uh, why we're changing the landscape in the uh, B2B funding space. Yeah, absolutely. Very much looking forward to digging into that. But before we do that, I'd like to get a little bit of um, knowledge on your personal background, Rail. Um, I know you're based in Melbourne currently, where it's a, a very lovely sunny day today. Indeed. Indeed. We, one of the rare. One of the rare oh, yeah. We've got to enjoy it while we can, right? Definitely. So were you born here and raised here, Rail, or did you um, start off somewhere else? No, look, we were uh, born and raised um, in Melbourne, had my uh, schooling in Melbourne, university, Monash full scholarship um, out in Melbourne as well, Monash Clayton. So our, our roots are here. Um, you know, we, we've we've always been local, um, love a bit of, you know, St Kilda Beach and, you know, the cafes and the, and the restaurants down there. And I guess for us, it's always been that, you know, we want to start local we wanted to start sort of grassroots and, and grow our business that way and, and, and that's really what we did so you know obviously it's important you know obviously to get the i guess the background on on sort of myself and the business etc but i think one of the first things you know that we've always said is if you go grassroots and you, and you stay local at least in the beginning you can really control that destiny control that flow and really you know i guess control that that initial steps of the business Whereas, you know, you're comfortable, you're local, you have a, a network around you. And that's really, I guess, gives you the groundwork for, for going forward. It's an interesting point of view there. Um, I haven't heard that from any other guests, uh, like where they've given that level of consideration to where they base the business um, and how that affects the, the flow and the growth of the business. Did you consider any other locations or did you sort of just stay local and then sort of recognise the benefits of it? We're, we're de- definitely, we, we look to stay local. I recognise the benefits of, of, I guess, what we're doing um, the network around us, the ability to, I guess, you know, jump on the road and uh, the ability to um, access, I guess, you know, pre-established networks. I mean, this is where we grew up. Um, the guys from school, you know, a lot of people still live around here. The guys from uni, a lot of them still live around here. And that that becomes your initial, you know, your initial, I guess, your network, the initial part of your business, et cetera. And that's what's going to give you that that springboard to, you know, go from, I guess from your local routes to the national to the international opportunities, you have to start somewhere. You may as well start somewhere, I guess, where you know, where you live, where you understand, and where you have that that base, whether it's friends, family, etc. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. 
In terms of education, you mentioned you went through Monash. What was the course you studied there? Sure. I did a, um, a Bachelor of Accounting IBL. So, you know, back in the day, I was very interested in the construction space and um, very interested, obviously, in the numbers and the accounting space as well. So for me, it was, do I go down the construction route or do I go down the accounting route? And for me, it was always about, um, I want to I want to build something. You know, I want to start something, finish something and see the, see the fruits of my labor. And I decided to go down the accounting route. Obviously, in, in building, you start something, you build a building, you walk away, you've got to finish building. Um, I went down the accounting route and within the accounting route, um, post-university, like I said, you know, full scholarship, et cetera. So it was a, it was a good ride for me. Um, but once I got into the accounting world, I realized that there was always another tax return and there was always another, I guess, client file. There wasn't that, I guess, that feeling of building and that, and that feeling and that satisfaction of, you know, completing something. So um i did my obviously i did my degrees and, and all the post you know post university degrees as well um and and went straight into the accounting field but wasn't i guess wasn't satisfied and um really i guess didn't give me my um um what's the word didn't give me my um my feeling of accomplishment i guess in that accounting space which is sort of why i, I branched out went into business and sort of fast forward, you know, sort of 20 odd years. And here we are today. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. In terms of um, your personal life, were you, did you have any hobbies or sports that you were entertaining while you were going through your education process? Look, uh, being six foot two um, doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, you know, I was a um, champion swimmer. Um, played a lot of sport, obviously. Um, fishing was a, was a great pastime of mine, obviously, just give you the ability, I guess, to switch off and, you know, be at one with nature, which I think is, is important in any any industry or any environment, just to sort of take that, that mental day off sort of thing. And, um, you know, I guess after a while, as I'm sure some of your listeners can appreciate, that, um, you know, work, I guess, overshadows the... The luxuries of sport and, and putting time aside to do the things that you really want to do versus the things you have to do and uh, eventually those lines get blurred but um, you know if we look back sort of 20 years ago with the you know the luxuries of you know you know playing basketball at you know albert park or you know like i said you know my my you know three times a week swimming and then training and then competition i mean those were the those were the days my friend as i said you know, those were the days. <laughs> Sounds like you would have been spending quite a lot of time at MSAC between the swimming and the basketball. Yeah, that's my, my second home, you know. So <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was always handy down there. And, you know, it's a great facility and, you know, we, we, you know, we did utilise it a lot. And uh, like I said, I mean, the, the facilities were exactly what we needed from the sports side and from the swimming side. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, obviously – Time is a luxury and, you know, unfortunately we don't have a lot of it these days, but, uh, you know, when we can get back in the pool or in ocean swimming, uh, try to grab some mates and, and do what we can. Sort of thing. So. 
Yeah. Yeah, last one. So you went through that uh, education process. Um, you're a full scholar um, or full scholarship. What was the first serious job that you landed post-education? Oh, now you're testing my memory, Daniel. Um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was accounting. It was a private practice, a small suburban firm, cut my teeth on tax returns, profit and loss statements, balance sheets, um really i guess the nitty-gritty but you know that that's really what you know what what allowed me to do what i do today i mean you can pick up you know a PL and you can pick up a balance sheet you can look at the numbers you can look at the the gps the top line the bottom line and really get a feel for a business and understand the business you know the risk um profiles credit profiles and, and you know what sort of reward you can take out of a, a company you know being in the lending business obviously it's um it's critical that, that numbers are, are a key point um, in any in any um, in any job and in any situation. And I guess that gave me really my my grounding within that accounting um, accounting field. Yeah, gotcha. How many years were you working as an employee before you started to look at um, doing your own thing? Um, I was always sort of doing my own thing on the side, um, yeah. sort of. 20 years ago, I started off with um, Lance. I don't know if you remember the Lance Armstrong Livestrong bands, the, the silicon wristbands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it could be before your time, but, um, you know, they were all the rage. I mean, every kid was wearing them, every charity was selling them, and sort of, you know, long story short, um, I saw them in America um, when I was traveling through America sort of 20 odd years ago. and. They sold, I think it was back then, a million of them in, in one week for $1 each. So they cleared a million dollars in a week. And I thought, that's amazing. Any product that can clear a million dollars in a week. So I sort of came back to Australia and sourced the product and um, started selling them in Australia to charities and football clubs, et cetera. And that's what really, I guess, you know, got me going in the business world. And we were first to market with it. No one had ever seen it before. Um, and uh, it just took off grew like wildfire and that's really how I got the taste for business and started from there. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Before we get into how you got started with Button, um, do you want to give people a bit of a, a elevator pitch on what Button is? Sure, definitely. Look, um, Button was, I guess, born out of our existing um, factoring business. Um, we've been in the We've been in the game factoring sort of over five years. We've done sort of well over 500 million of transactional value to date. So we're we're not a sort of Johnny come lately, fly by night business. Um, what Button is, in a nutshell, is it's agnostic technology. It overlays and integrates and embeds in any third-party platform to provide those platforms and users a suite of funding products instantly. So five-minute registration, the first time they click the button, and the second time they click the button, they um, they can access funding, whether it's Button X, which is invoice factoring or invoice finance, Button Pay, which is buy now, pay later, Button Plus, which is cash flow loans, Button Now, which is um, real estate advance commissions or mortgage broker advance commissions. And we have a, a number of other products as well. So. Um, from our point of view, you know, we we're looking from a button point of view, we were looking for, I guess, mass origination and distribution in a digital manner. 
And from the platform partners' point of view, the, the platforms that we plug into, they were looking to provide funding products to their end users, keeping those end users within their ecosystem, allowing them to trade and transact and find funding without leaving that ecosystem, without jumping on Google or calling their bank looking for a loan. So it was a it's really a match made in heaven. And uh, we set out to build this, I guess, this technology piece, you know, automated, driven by our API. And, um, and we sort of, you know, we're, it's a sort of a two, three year overnight success, but we're here now, we've got amazing platform partners that we've plugged into and, um, and we're growing, we're growing, um, going great guns. We have a strong pipeline of new platform partners and sort of, as I touched on earlier, we're, we're a B2B player. So we, we look at, um, cloud-based platforms, desktop-based platforms that have business users within that ecosystem, within that environment. And we can literally just plug in our button within that environment and the, um, the end users on that platform have instant access to funding, which is a sort of a game changer and, a, and we believe a, a world first. Yeah, gotcha. Can you give me a usage case to better clarify for our listeners um, exactly how button is used? Sure. So um, a real example, you might have a platform and on your platform, you might have a module that does invoicing for argument's sake. So if you have an invoicing module within your platform, you'd be overlaying button X. So button X via API would take those invoice details that your end user is generating. And it would, um, I guess, um, be... Um, pulled from your platform into the button platform and the button platform will spit out the money back to you based on those invoices. And it's like invoice factoring. So it's all automated and uh, you'll have instant access to those invoices. So instead of waiting 14, 30, 16, even 90 days for that invoice to be paid, you might need to pay your wages, your rent, buy stock, electricity, whatever it might be. We're bringing forward that, that invoice payment and we're funding that gap at the click of a button. B-U-T-N. Got it, got it, got it. And so that's the button X proposition. Uh, is button pay, I guess, similar to like Afterpay or Zip or those kind of players? Yeah, so but exactly right. So button pay for us is um, button pay for us is our buy now pay later product um, for business. And I guess the the position we've taken in is again. Within a business, um, your platform issues invoices and our technology will overlay that, that invoice module and provide the receiver of that invoice, if it's a business, the opportunity to pay that over, over installments. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So is it fair to say that Button was an evolution of an existing business that you had um, doing invoice factoring or financing? Sorry, uh, sorry say that again? Was Button an evolution of an existing business? Um, yes, exactly right. Exactly right. So um, our existing business was um, factoring, um, sort of like Button, um, but it gives me, um, I guess, it gives us the ability to not do it in a, in a manual way or a semi-manual way. So previously, a lot of our um, our operations and our processes and our onboarding was all manual, semi-manual. And now through Button, we have the ability to digitize um, every step of the way. Got it. It's really again, like, like, like a game changer. So we can scale up massively. 
without another sort of two, three, four thousand people in the office. Um, we don't need thousands of BDMs on the road because we get a mass origination distribution. Got it. Was this functionality or I guess these ideas basically scratching your own itch in terms of what would be ideal to have available in terms of technological or functionality capabilities? Um, are these things you came up with when you're sitting in your existing business thinking, how can we make this more scalable? How can we do it without people? And then the ideas came together from there. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. That, that, that's exactly right. So um, the, um, I guess when we built Button, we thought Button was really going to be for us, for our mass origination and distribution in digital manner. But as we continued to build and we continued to onboard platform partners and platform partners sort of reached out to us and said, look, we've been looking for this solution for six months. We've been looking for this solution for 12 months. It doesn't exist. Um, you're the first guys to really do it. We realized that as much as we were building it for our needs, we actually were really building it for the customer's needs and the platform partner's needs. And for us, that was a light bulb moment saying, not only do we realize that we needed it, um, but it's the end users and the platforms that really need it more than us. So it was really, like I said previously, it was really a, a match made in heaven. And um, the fact that we had the, the, I guess, the ability and the foresight to, I guess, you know, why frame this product and build it and, and get it into the market is, is, um, is quite, I guess, opportune the time of it as well. Um, we've had a lot of press recently and off the back of the press, our pipeline has exploded with um, people saying, you know, I didn't know this thing actually exists. Um, you know, when, when can we get it sort of thing? When, when can we integrate? Yeah, gotcha. I think your story really highlights that premise that, looking at your own industry or looking within your own business and what needs and wants you have there is a great way to come up with ideas for a really successful business. And I think people get caught up in trying to find external things or come up with something that's brand new and never heard of where the best ideas are usually brought up by just scratching your own itch. And the side benefit of that is that you're already experienced with the industry. So the kind of clientele or customers you're probably going to attract are people who you know really well already and can have really good conversations with, or if it's at a more mass scale, be able to create more effective messaging for. And it sounds like that's exactly what you guys were able to do. That's exactly right. I mean, I think it's, it's very important to note a lot of people go and build a product um, and we've seen it time and time again, they build a product and then go out and try and sell it and realize that there's no one, to sell it to or that no one wants to buy it mm. and um, our position has always been from day one we'll build a product that people want that we know that people want and we'll go out to the market and um, get that get that feedback as as we continue to build it so that we know that once the product is finished and we're ready to launch it's a it's a simple sort of plug and play solution um, because that's what the the clients have asked us for gotcha gotcha when you came up with this um, idea for Button, did you guys need to take on any more funding for that or was it sort of just a spin-off and funded by your existing business? Correct. Exactly right. So, you know, we, we sort of built it. Um, we, we, we built it as we went along. With, um, we had our existing business that, I guess, um, gave us the ability to and the cash flow to, to build out and, and continue to build out uh, the product. 
Yeah. And um, and I guess you know I mean we're we're IPOing um, soon. Um, we're going through those those processes now. Um, I mean it's been in the papers. We we uh, did a twelve and a half million dollar raise. Um, that was to I guess you know help us to continue to grow um, and to continue with um, with the products and with the platform partners that we're um, that we're onboarding. It was very um, it was very positive and um, and uh, the market obviously likes what we're doing and, and the platform partners like what we're doing and we're continuing to really you know push that forward. This episode of Sticky Beak is brought to you by Digital Deluxe. If you're sick of digital agencies that overpromise and underdeliver, you need to speak to Digital Deluxe. We can't guarantee miracles, but we can guarantee great service and a logical ROI-focused approach. Visit www.digitaldeluxe.com.au forward slash stickybeak to access our special offer for Sticky Beak listeners. In terms of getting the first customers for Button, where did they come from? Sure. Um, it's a funny story, actually. When we started to build Button right in the beginning, we went out and found the customers um, before the product was finished so that when we had a finished product, um, the product would fit in exactly with what the customer needed and wanted. So right in the beginning when we started building, we went out to the market and we said, this is what we're building um, this is what we're going to do. You know, basically, do you want it? And the answer was always, you know, we want it today. We're like, well, let me finish building it and um, and then we'll roll it out um, together. And for us, that was a, a real, I guess, a catalyst and a turning point because as I sort of touched on before, um, you can build the best product in the world, but if nobody wants it, it's useless. So, you know, we think we've built a great product, um, but what makes it even better is the fact that not only do people want the product, but it was built with them in mind. And that's really, I guess, a, a, a takeaway and, and a learning point that we've, um, that we've um, agreed on um, with the platform partners and ourselves as well, that any time we go and build more functionalities, it's got to be what the, what the platform partners want and what our customers want, not building it for the sake of building it. Yeah, got it. You mentioned the capital raise and also the upcoming IPO. Uh, it sounds like the, the capital raise, was that the first round or was that a, a second or subsequent round? Yeah, um, it was a pre-IPO round. So we, we, yeah. we haven't taken on any external investment, myself and my partner, Walter Rappaport, there's um, two of us in the business. Um, and we always said that, you know, we want to, I guess, grow the business to a level where people understand what we have and understand what button is and understand what button can do. And at that point, when we're ready, we'll, we'll sort of go to the market and take on external investment. And, you know, our, our, our pipeline is, is really strong, you know, and our growth prospects are very strong as well um, based on those pipelines. And we, I guess we needed that, we needed that, I guess, that, that money, I guess, to, to help us grow and, and, and um, continue the, the trajectory that, that we find ourselves on. How seriously did you take that can, uh, that decision? Because it's a pretty big thing to go from self-funded to taking on external uh, money. Obviously, you've got uh, stakeholders then. You may be answerable to those stakeholders. Did you guys give it a fair bit of weight before pulling the trigger on it? Yeah. Um, 
That's a that's a good point, actually. It's a, it's a good question because, you know, we're I mean we've been in this business a long time. We're not I mean we're a startup by button standards, but we're we're an existing you know established business with with good numbers for the last you know circus over you know five six seven years whatever it is. So um, from our point of view, um, we needed that next piece of the puzzle. Um, to continue our growth, and there's only, I guess, so much you can do um, internally. Um, we are also understood that to get to the next level, sometimes you have to give up to get. And for us, it was about giving up that that piece of the pie in order to get to that next level. And um, like I said, as we took on the money, it, for us, it was pre-IPO. Um, and that was our lead up to IPO. So we didn't do series A, we didn't do seed, um, nothing like that. So we really just sort of bootstrapped and, and uh, ran the business lean. You know, you know, we always joke in the office, you know, we don't drive Maseratis, we don't have private planes, none of that sort of thing. I mean, we're, we're very frugal with our money. And uh, there's only one thing that we set out to do from day one, and that's build a, a solid, good, sustainable business. Uh, you know that will um, that will continue to grow and continue to service the needs of our our platform partners and our and our customers. Uh, that's a good segue into my next question, which was going to be: What do you guys have in the works to ensure that you don't get, I guess, fat off the extra money that you're bringing in? Um, it can be something that happens in businesses that take on outside funds or IPO um, where they've been very lean traditionally can sometimes get a bit loose with their systems and the way that they operate. Have you guys considered what you're going to do to make sure that you can stay lean and aggressive? Yeah. Um, like I said, our, our business through Button is highly scalable. So we don't need, you know, thousands of new hires and thousands of new BDMs, et cetera. Um, so we have, I guess, our, our position in the market gives us the ability to to really do that mass origination, that mass distribution, and that mass scale. Um, we continue to run frugal. Um, we've always been frugal. Um, it's very important for us that we manage the business in a sustainable manner. Um, and we also know that, you know, money for us that we, that we raise and that we continue to raise allows us to to grow the business and that's really what we've set out to do from day one and that's what we we intend to push forward as well just that that story of the growth more platform partners more pipeline more customers um expand our products expand our user base etc got it how big's the team at the moment rail look we have um we have a team across uh, melbourne and sydney um our operations are run out of uh, Melbourne and our tech is run out of Sydney. Um, tech is always expanding, obviously. I mean, we're, we're FinTech in the truest sense of the word. Um, I think there's a, you know, there's, um, there's no doubt, I guess, that our, our FinTech, I being the financial side and the technology side are so heavily intertwined now that, you know, one day, you know, you look up FinTech in the dictionary and there'll be a, a little purple button there that will sort of remind you of, of sort of where, where where Button really came from and, it, and its roots and its origination. Um, from an operational point of view, again, we're also expanding as well, but across the board with internal and out and outsource and everything, I mean, getting on sort of, you know, 40, 50 people now. So we're, we're a sizable business and um, 
you know, like I said, everyone we hire now and all our growth is really, again, and I'll repeat it for the three main things, our growth, our pipeline and our customers. Yeah, gotcha. Do you guys have any particular strategies for finding the best talent to join the team? Um, in the beginning, we used a lot of our network. Uh, we really leveraged off who we know, who we knew, the other players in the market, uh, similar industries. Um, I think now um, what we're finding also is quite interesting that people are coming from, from left field that are absolute standout guns that are stars. You know, you might be looking for a, an operations guy and you might come from a management consulting background or you might be looking for an accountant and you might be coming from an engineering background. So it's, you know, I think the days of sort of that pigeonholed I've always done accounting, I'm ready for an accounting job or I've, you know, I've always done, you know, electrical engineering, I need to be an engineer, need to go into other engineering. It, it's really not the case. I mean, that the talents are really cross, cross, uh, across the board. And I know also like in the UK, for argument's sake, I mean, you can do a, an arts degree and you can end up in a law firm sort of thing. So um, I think Australia's also going towards that that sort of model eventually will there be sort of an undergrad where you'll just do a generalist degree and then you'll do sort of a postgrad which will you know give you your major sort of like in the states as well yeah yeah is there a strong cultural consideration when you hire look for us it's it's always been a, a cultural paradigm you know we run a very flat structure uh, we have an open door policy um, you know, for us, you know, we always see it as like a family. I know it's cliche, but it is, it really is like a family, like a team. Um, everyone has everyone's sort of mobiles, you know, everyone's personable. And I think that really fosters, I guess, the culture of, you know, um, hands down, just doing what you need to do sort of thing. And so that, again, that's important for us as well. Um, it's also important for us, you know, to my clients as well. I mean, all our clients have our mobile numbers and, you know, we're, we're approachable, we're reachable at any time. We don't sit in ivory towers. Um, and I think that's how business should, you know, should be run. And, and I think you get the best out of the team that way, you know, when you're on, their same, on the same level and, you know, you deal with them, et cetera. So um, that's, that's always been important for us from day one. And, 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 you know, please God will continue to, I guess, push that, push that arrow as we, um, as we scale up and as we grow. Got it. Do you guys have a particular approach to systemization? Um, I think systemization is quite a broad word. There's, um, you know, there's obviously processes in place. I mean, we run a finance company, so we, there's processes around credit and risk and staffing, et cetera, and controls. Um, but uh, from a systemization point of view, I think systemization becomes quite rigid. I think there always has to be a process. Process can be changed um, for the better if there's better ways of doing things. But I think the word system, if you have a system, it's quite rigid. And in, in business, I think for what we found anyway, that um, a systemization process is, is too rigid for a fluid business, especially where in, whereas so now that we're, we're heavily in tech, that you know, we have these you have these you know tech sprints, whether it goes for thirty days, sixty days, ninety days, one twenty days, and they're always fluid. Like it's always changing. I mean, we run an agile um, uh, mythology in the business, and, and I think that's really um, how you have to do it. And if we sort of set out at day one and said this is the systemization and this is the pro this is the 
this is the way we're going to run things. I think we'd be too static, and I think we'd um, we'd lose our edge, especially in the tech and in the in the financial side as well. Gotcha. In terms of your software stack, what would you say is the most important piece there? Um, look, we've built um, we've built it because I guess. I look at it a different way. From our point of view, our technology is agnostic. So we want to be able to plug into any platform and connect via API and pull the data we need to make a credit decision and then make a funding decision. So um, the most important piece for us is is, is the piece of being agnostic, the, the, the piece that means that you know we're not limited to who we can plug into, how we plug into, what we do with them, et cetera. So, um, if we can, I guess, keep along those lines of, you know, the, the agnostic technology and that, and um, keeping, I guess, within that vein that, um, that the, the technology continues to evolve, but still maintains that agnostic state, that for us is a, is a big win. And I think the, um, the various platforms out there, whether they're local or international, wherever they may be, um, you know, we have to be fluid enough to be able to plug into all platforms because obviously at the end of the day, that that's the button business, plugging in, embedding, integrating within third-party platforms to provide that instant funding. Got it. Have you guys had any near-death moments, Rail? Um, near-death moments? Um, not really. Um, you know, like I said, we've, we've been very frugal with our money. Um, we've been careful not to grow too fast. Um, you know, we, when we did our raise, we were, we were diligent on the, on the raise. We're diligent with our IT and we're diligent with our team, with our tech. Um, so I think it's, you know, I think companies that grow too fast sometimes get into that situation. Companies that take on um, too much money or too much debt sometimes get into that situation as well. Uh, a lot of, a lot of companies also think they have to do big, big, massive raises and seed or series A only to find sort of a year down the track, they're still sitting on all the money. Their business has grown, but they didn't need so much money. And they've actually, I guess, bastardized their equity stack as well. So, um, you know, we've been quite judicious in how we've done things over the last you know, five, six years. And I think that's really held us in good stead. Who would you say has had the biggest influence on your success? The biggest influence? Um, it's funny, but I think it's the incumbents in the industry. So when we sort of set out to, to build Button, um, I guess, distribute Button into the, into the marketplace through our platform partners, um, we looked at what sort of the other funders in the market were doing, not necessarily competitors, just other funders, and the time it took to access that money and how you access that money and where you find the money and what you need to provide, et cetera. And we took all that, I guess, that research and that information, we said, well, we can really streamline this process and we can really digitize this process and turn the industry on its, on really turn the industry on its head. And, um, and that's what we've done. And, and that's what we've done with Button. So the external influences for us is, is, is stronger than any particular person or company or, or anything like that. You know, we, we, we started out to build a better process and a better product. And the, the external influences from all the other players in the market is what really drove us to build that, that sort of best in, best in market play. 
So basically you're saying the shortfalls of your competitors of what have driven you forward. <laughs> I can confirm nor deny Daniel. Such, uh, <laughs> you well, know, we, we have a lot, yeah, we have a lot of respect. We have a lot of respect for, you know, for competitors, for, for the industry in, in general. I mean, but you know, we know that the industry is evolving and, you know, we want to be on, I guess, on the front foot and on the forefront of that evolution. Gotcha. What do you do outside of work to keep your sanity in check, Rail? Um, outside of work? I think that's a foreign concept, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I try to, to tell you the truth, I try to walk around the block whenever I can because I know that if I'm walking around the block from, from where I live, if I get an urgent call or I get an urgent you know, message or an email, I can, I'm one block away from home. So I try to do loops the block. Uh, look, it's a very hectic time for us now with, you know, with the forthcoming IPO, um, with the platform partners we're onboarding, with the announcements that we're making, et cetera. So, um, you know, we're, um, we're really all hands on deck and um, we're really trying to, I guess, to, um, to continue to maintain that, that momentum, that first in market. If I can sneak away for, a, I guess, a, a sneaky fish here or there, um, you know, I'll, I'll go down to the local here and you know go for an hour and you know chances are i won't catch anything but <laughs> at least i guess i can switch off for an hour and you know come back and say I, at least i tried yeah sort of yeah thing. yeah you know, well, the business mentor anyway so those little circuit breakers even the walks around the block can be pretty helpful for productivity i know for myself uh i can find myself staring at the screen for a couple of hours sometimes and making very little progress whereas if i step out of the office for 10 or 20 minutes to go for a little stroll or just change things up and breathe some fresh air it can make a really big difference and allow me to push through those blockages that kind of approach when you when you just stay in the same environment for too long Definitely, definitely. And I think also one of the other, you know, obviously the buzzword now is around mental health and work-life balance. And I think that really goes, I think it's understated. I mean, I think it's a, it's a bigger problem in the workplace than, than people make it out to be. Um, you know, the, the fact that, you, do, you know, people need a break. People need to, as you said, get up from the desk or even take a day off here or there just to sort of rewind and reset and, and come back refreshed. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, so important and, and I think companies really have to adopt that that mentality of you know live and let live and um, that work-life balance is so important to maintain that that mental health and that stability and that and that I guess that work ethic as well yeah totally agree and the thing is it's a win-win I think that's that realization needs to be more widespread because it's I think there's a fear by business owners and managers to give their employees too much free reign because their fear is, you know, if they're only going to do a few hours of work per day and then they're off gallivanting around doing other things, then productivity is going to drop. Uh, whereas if you're, if you're whipping your employees and making, you know, chaining them to their desk and making them sit there for eight hours a day, productivity is probably going f through the floor anyway. I think the having... Uh, a I definitely, yep, I definitely agree with that. That's a very strong point, and um, we, we, we try to do that internal in the business as well. Um, people have their job, people have their work, and, and they go and do it, you know, and, you know, if they do their work and they finish what needs to be done, 
you know, do what you need to do. I mean, we, we, we don't care as long as the work is done and it's, it's to a good standard, so be it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you engage in any kind of ongoing learning, Rail? Um, look, uh, I think it's um, I think it's very important, um, you know, to have mentors and, and confidence and um, coaches and business coaches. Um, I don't do anything formal per se, but I have a have a, a network of of um, individuals and, and business leaders that I, I lean on for guidance and, and for information and. You know, um, having a co-founder and co-CEO Walter as well is um, is very good because we, we you know we bounce a lot of ideas off each other and we work together very well. So I think you know the the importance of sort of oh I guess the difference between um, learning in a structured sense versus sort of a, a network of individuals that that you can sort of go to for guidance. Um, there's a big distinction there, but I prefer the latter because it's more practical and, and people have more experience as opposed to sort of a, a textbook way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. What's the number one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's thinking about starting or is in the early stages of starting a business? Uh, don't. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> def- definitely should. Um, but very important. And we've said it, you know, numerous times, build a product that somebody wants and someone's asked you for don't build a product that you think everyone wants and spend all your time money and effort go to market and then realize that it's a hard sell and no one wants it so um if you are thinking of starting a business and you are in your early stages you know people talk about proof of concept it's not even proof of concept it's actually do people actually want to buy the product and is there mass market and what's your exit strategy as well you know you're building your product you can build a business, you know, you can be in it for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, you know, but you want to be able to sort of see that, that long-term vision and that exit, you know, what happens if, you know, I've been in it 50 years and I've had enough, who's going to buy it? What's the exit strategy? Uh, What's the growth strategy? You know, these are the things that people sort of take for granted and they just start the business and run to the ground. But if you sort of think about that from day one, you'll build a very different business. You'll build a practical business that people want that, you know, other people will want to take off you one day down the track. It's very solid advice. I couldn't agree more. Um, And I think a lot of people might push back and say, well, how do I establish that? Like, how do I know that there's demand for it? And the easy answer is ask your target audience if they're interested in it or what their needs or burning wants are. Um, and then that's going to raise another question that probably too many startups don't consider, which is who is your target audience? So if you're going to create a product or a service and try and meet a need, you need to know who it is that has that need as well. And I think that all ties into your answer a bit there, Rail. It's just, yeah, as I said, really solid advice. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Daniel. So look, we, 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 we tried to sort of, you know, I mean, you know, we do a couple of interviews and podcasts and whatnot. And I think it's important, you know, at least in my view, to get practical. You know, you know, we're not interested in the wishy-washy. Uh, and hopefully, you know, some of the some of the things I've said today, um, and, and some of the things we've discussed, is it's practical measures. You know, go find a mentor, build a business that that one day you can sell that, that there's growth potential. You know, build a product and build a company that people want that there's mass market for. 
you know, they always say, you know, make for the masses, you eat with the classes, you make for the classes, you eat for the, you eat with the masses. So, you know, you build a product on, on a mass, on a mass scale, you'll, you'll, you'll do well if you have a too much of a niche product, you know, it's, uh, it's more of a struggle sort of thing. So um, these are sort of the main, I mean, the main takeaways that, that, that I want from today. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely what you've imparted. Before we wrap up, Rail, if people want to find you online or check out Button, where would you send them? Sure. So um, button.co, www.butn.co is our, um, is our website. Um, we have um, you know, obviously LinkedIn, Button, B-U-T-N, um, Facebook, B-U-T-N, Button. But if you Google Button, there's a lot of press around us. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I always accept because um, you again another lesson of of life always accept because you never know where it will lead and we've you know we've had some great platforms reach out to us over linkedin and said oh, i saw some of the press are you interested in you know xyz sort of thing so um don't be shy reach out and you know australia is a very opening country you know people are always sort of happy to have a coffee and, and have a chat and you know see where it will lead so don't be shy That's yeah absolutely don't, another great tip that's come up a couple of times with different guests. It's how open everyone is, particularly in Australia, with you know sharing information and being willing to help each other out. So great advice there as well. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Rail, and taking time out of your day. I, it's really been a pleasure to chat to you, and I wish uh, Button all the best with the upcoming IPO. I'm sure it's going to be a, a big success. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I, I appreciate that, Daniel. And um, we, we, we really are. We're, we're looking forward to the future and uh, the best for, for obviously you guys and Sticky Beak. And um, we'll definitely be um, watching this space and um, seeing how you, guys are, how you guys are tracking. And like I said, you know, I think, you know, you've built a, a product that people want. And, you know, this sort of angle and this sort of podcast is, is really what's, what's driving that, that, you know, those young grassroots business startups, et cetera. So, you know, kudos to you and, and the team as well. Appreciate it. Cheers, Rail. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Sticky Beak. If you've got any feedback or suggestions for guests or topics you'd like us to cover, just send it through to info at stickybeak.com.au.